begin. Welcome. Um, good evening. Thank you for coming. Tonight's Sheer and CD. Again, the Sheer and the CD this week was graciously sponsored. L'zchus Erefua Shalema Mehira. And Refua Shalema Gemura. Complete, complete, complete Refua. Chaya Sara Malka Bas Brachaleya Chava. Hashem should send her a complete and total Refua Shalema. Ba'oifen Nisi. And in a manner of tremendous speed. And uh, it should be clear that Me'es Hashem Hoysa Kol Zois. Big, 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 big brachat to, uh, to her for a complete refuah. Thank you. Another, another dedication tonight was also a luschus for refuah shalema. It's a good CD on Sheer to sponsor for refuah shalema because the whole content of today's talks is about the ultimate miracles. So it should be refuah shalema, refuah sanefesh, and refuah saguf. To Miriam Baschaya Michal, a complete and total refuah, and all that she needs on every level. May Hashem please bless her with the ultimate Yeshua and Bracha and refuah. The Shia was also sponsored. Now we have a happier dedication by Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak and Rei Shagalov. And this is in honor of the birthday of their grandson, Tuvia Zakai, and of the half birthday. I have to figure out what that means. Probably it means the half-year birthday. That's what I would imagine means a half-birthday. Of Taviata Shabbat, which is their si- of, her, of, of a sister. Tovia Zakai's sister, Taviata Shabbat. I guess it's his oldest sister. I think so. And for the birthday of their Bobby, Gitl Rachel, whose birthday was today. May Hashem bless all of them, the grandchildren and the grandmother. Uh, with the Shnas Baracha and Atzlacha, Bakoil Mikoil Koil, which includes all the blessings possible, imaginable, and even beyond our imagination. A really good year and everything. Much, much, much. Lichtiki Yiddish, Chsidish, Anachas, from the children, Gesund, and Parnasar Barachava, parents, grandparents, and everybody involved. Thank you so much for that dedication. Okay. We are about to begin. Um, Today's class. Um, this week is Parshas Koirach. And uh, let's take a look a little bit over here in the Parsha. The Parsha talks about a little revolt, a, sta- a revolt that was uh, orchestrated by a, na- a man called Korach. He was a Levi, he was from the family of Moshe, a first cousin to Moshe and Aaron. But he was a troublemaker. He was a, he was a great scholar and a great, great man, very wealthy. And his great wealth and his great scholarly stature and knowledge um, gave him the chutzpah and the brazenness to think a little too much of himself and to be able to stand up against the greatest of the great, Moshe Rabbeinu. And to doubt that Moshe is speaking the word of God, that Moshe is speaking the word of Hashem. And he complained and he was upset at Moshe and Aaron taking what he believed was all the positions of leadership and leaving nothing to, of course, your highness, Korach. So that bothered him very much. He made a big revolt. And every time you mess 
and you don't believe the tzaddikim or you mess with the tzaddikim, it uh, doesn't end up too good because God speaks through the tzaddikim. And uh, we saw Korach and his bunch of pretty great people, very impressive people. He had 250 heads of the yeshiva of Sanhedrin. Um, they ended up either dying through a uh, through some kind of a, a, a being burnt in, God, in Hashem's, in Hashem's uh, fire or Korach and the other really, really rebel rousers and troublemakers ended up with this very, very, very astounding death as they were swallowed by the earth. An act of God, the earth opened up, they went down deep, deep, deep down in the earth, and that was that. The earth closed and they vanished from the face of the earth. That's the story in Parshas Korach. After this challenge to the Levium, you see it took a while to calm the Jewish people down. The Jewish people then had complaints to Moshe and to Aaron that you killed the assembly of God. You're responsible. You should have known that they will die and you gave them the advice to offer incense, ketores, which is very dangerous, and therefore you're responsible. So then back and forth, and until that's resolved, and Hashem gets very upset, and He wants to really, really slam down on all the Jewish people, finally, God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, in order to remove all complaints, and to finally remove all the challenges against the kahuna that's possible, let me make a clear demonstration that it is God that has chosen Aaron HaKohen, Aaron the high priest, for that position of being the Kohen. How did he do that? He told, Moshe told, Moshe was told by Hashem, Hashem spoke to Moshe, tell the Jewish people, every tribe should hand you a staff. And then you should take those staffs from all the tribes, including the tribe of Levi, and you should bring them into the Holy of Holies and leave them there overnight in the Holy of Holies. And then come back tomorrow and we'll see what happened. It will be proven without a shadow of a doubt who God has chosen. So that's what they did. They took the staffs, put it on the Holy of Holies. And behold, they came back the next morning. And let me read the Pasuk. Pasuk 23. Pasuk Chav Gimel in Perek. In Perek Yud Zion. Okay? Chapter 17. Vayhimi Machras. It came the next morning. Vayavai Moishal Oyala Edus. Moshe came to the tent of meeting, and behold, Parach Mate Aaron, the staff of Aaron blossomed. From which, from which one of the tribes, Lebes Levi, Aaron is from the tribes of Levi, so that tribe blossomed. What did it blossom? Now it gives you the details. Vayoitze Ferach, first it blossomed flowers, then Vayotze Tzitz, and then it sprouted buds, and it produced almonds, ripe almonds. Good. Now, so when Moshe comes in, he sees the almonds. You have a staff with almonds, like an almond tree, which obviously is a supernatural occurrence, a miracle. Talking about a regular detached staff, a piece of wood, a dried out piece of wood that can't grow anything. And yet this staff suddenly has sprouted and grown and shown. Right? It's amazing, a miracle. 
And here God says, take a look. I have chosen the Levium. It was my choice. Even though the Levium were contested, the Aaron was contested, but from, and this was Aaron's staff. So it was proven that then Hashem tells him to keep the staff. And this staff remained in the Holy of Holies. And then later when they, in the time of the, the end of the first base of Migdash, when the ark was hidden, so that the hands of the, uh, of the, those who destroyed the base of Migdash should not be able to lay their hands on it, was hidden deep below, including in that what was, hide, was hidden along with that was this staff. This staff was meant to be kept lumishmeres, as a sign that God has chosen the kahuna, the levium. No one should be able to contest it. Now, it says, however, Rashi implies this, that because the Pasuk says that flowers, first came flowers, then it budded a bud, and then it, and then it gave out almonds. So why did this... Um, so, so how did we know? Because if you're seeing, in the morning, you're seeing the finished product, you're seeing the almonds. So it says the flowers fell down. When Moshe Rabbeinu brought out, just like what happens with flowers, every time... A, a, you know, a fruit grow, and those fruits, well, almonds, they have flowers first. First there's a flower, then the, then the leaves of the flower wither, they fall down, it turns into a bud, and, which is a potential almond, and then from there comes out the full, the full almond. In this case, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu brings out the staff with the almonds. I'm sorry, with the flowers, so they can see. So the question over here is, very, very strange. Who needed the flowers? <laughs> Who needed the flowers? I mean, the main thing was that a staff is going to produce almonds. And it, it is explained why dafka the almonds. Because almonds are the fastest growing um, um, fruit. It usually takes 21 days to grow. Here, obviously, there was a super miracle. It's not an almond tree. It's a regular staff. It's a dried out stick. That's what it is, a detached stick. So the fact that it's giving you almonds is a big miracle. But in addition to the miracle of that, it's also that it grew in one night. But the main thing is that the almonds are there. What's this whole idea that the way the miracle happened, and God wanted them to know that because He kept those flowers, withering flowers on the floor, and Moshe had to take out the flowers along with it, that it once had flowers, and then it had buds, and then it... In other words, even though God provided a miracle, God provided the miracle in a manner where the miracle happened, but it happened in a natural manner. Because when ordinary almonds grow, almonds grow, they first flower, then bud, and then have, then the almonds grow. Which is a strange thing. Why does God have to do that? He's bypassing nature anyways. If He's bypassing nature, why does He make the staff flower, and then bud, and then have almonds? What you want is the desired the, 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 the final product. The final product is the almonds. So we once gave a shear about it. It's a good shear. It's actually, I like the name on it. It's called Be the Bud You Can Be. Uh, that's the, um, that's the, uh, the shear online. You can look at, listen in Parshas Korach. Um, today, uh, I am going to touch upon one point we mentioned in that class, but then, um, uh, but, but, but take it in a, in a different direction. In a very, very, very important significant direction for us to really appreciate things that are happening in the world unbelievable occurrences that are taking place as we sit here tonight and we talk um, to understand this 
and to appreciate this, I would like to, this Shabbos is Shabbos Pasha's Korach. The date on the calendar, it's the third day of Tammuz. A day that has become very, very known to the Jewish people as Gimel Tammuz. Well, what happened simply on Gimel Tammuz in modern day history, I'm going to talk about later. But the day of Gimel Tammuz has an ancient history. Two very important events happened on this Gimel Tammuz day in earlier days. One of the one of the great events that happened on Gimel Tammuz way back, the first noticeable event is brought down in Seder Oila. That means it's a biblical event, a massive event. It's spoken about in the Navi, in Joshua, in Yeshua. But, here it doesn't say the date. But in the Sefer, a medrash called Seder Olam, in which it gives you dates of events that we don't know when they happened, it says that that event happened on Gimel Tammuz. What was that? It was that when the Jewish people were conquering and fighting the battles to conquer the land of Israel, and the Jewish people are coming into the land of Eretz Yisrael, take possession of the land, it happened to be they were in the midst of a battle and they were running out of time because it was going to become nightfall. The sun was going to set, it was going to become night. And at the nighttime, they couldn't fight. And that would have given the enemies a chance to run away, and that would have not been good. So Yehoshua did something amazing. He stopped the sun in the middle of the sky. So that day became a longer day. The sun stopped in the sky. The moon stopped the celestial luminaries in the sky all came to a halt. And what did that do for the Jewish people? It allowed the Jewish people to continue the fighting because it remained day for a couple of hours. And the, Jew, and the Jewish people were able to pursue their enemies and defeat them and annihilate them completely. That was the miracle. And it says over there that Yeshua's fame went out the whole world because everybody, of course, was wondering what happened there. Suddenly there's a longer day, the sun isn't setting, the strangest thing that happened. It was a tremendous Kiddush Hashem, sanctification of God's name. Obviously it caused all the enemies of Israel to be terrified. If we're talking about a leader of the Jewish people that has power over the suns, over the sun, over the moon, fine. Over here as well, let's take a look and examine the nature of the way the miracle happened, which is, in a sense, similar to what we just discussed happens in Parsha's Korach. What happens over here? Yeshua stopped the sun in order that we should be able to fight the war. That means God is lending divine, miraculous assistance to help the Jewish people complete, complete their victory. But then the question is, why does Hashem kind of intervene, but He doesn't intervene completely? He's intervening in a massive way. God generally doesn't like to temper with nature. Definitely He doesn't like to mess with the basic rotation of the galaxies in which God set into motion. I mean, this is like things, this is like at the very, very, very... Uh, 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 um, dial that, that, that basically all the rhythm of life is rotating on the galaxies and so on and so forth. Hashem doesn't likes to, likes to leave nature as, as it is. But from time to time, a miracle is needed, God intervenes. 
So if God intervened already with such a miracle, so why couldn't already God either do one of the two things? Either miraculously finish off the enemies so that they should be able to finish the war in the, in the little bit of time that they had left in the day. I mean, God could have increased. We see that though, at certain times in the war, it says that Hashem threw down on the Canaanim, on those that were fighting them, stones from heaven came down. Right? It says the leftover burrow that did not, powerful, huge chunks of hail that did not come down, uh, by, by, which remained suspended by when Moshe uh, stopped them, started, came down upon the, upon the, uh, upon the Canaan, among the enemies of Joshua, of Yeshua. So if Hashem is intervening, intervene and completely intervene. Or Hashem could have made that for the Jewish people, let it become night. And for the Jewish people, they should be able to continue fighting during the night time by doing what? Giving them night vision. Or that for the Jewish people, it should never be night. Where do we find that? They should have light. We found that when the Jewish people were running away from the Egyptians, it says. It was dark for the Egyptians and it was lit up for the Jewish people. And then it would have been a what? A completely divine act. But what happens? What does God do? You see, He's involved but he gets involved just enough to help us out. But then he allows the natural course to continue. Meaning to say, what did the extension of the day do? It allowed Yehoshua to continue fighting the war naturally. So the miracle happens. But somehow the miracle doesn't want to take over. The miracle doesn't want to push nature to the side and makes nature completely step to the side or be suspended completely. God, for some reason, is showing that He wants the nature, the natural order of things to continue. You need my help? I'm going to tweak nature as much as I need to to give you the assistance. But then you're going to continue fighting this battle and conquer Israel through a natural war once the sun was stopped in the sky. So what you're seeing over here a little bit is a parallel. Because even though Hashem does in our parsha this awesome miracle, He makes a staff, a dried stick, give, produce, and grow almonds, He doesn't give you just the miraculous conclusion. He just empowers the stick to naturally grow, to go through the process of natural, of natural growth, like, as if it would be a tree, which naturally, when that grows, it grows through flowers and budding, and then, and then finally you have the finished product. So in both these miracles, you see the same, if you're thinking about it carefully and analyzing it, you see that in both cases, there is intervention from above, but there's also tremendous respect for the natural order and for things to run their natural course. Hashem says, you will fight the world, you will fight this war naturally. Let's understand, if the day becomes longer and the Jewish people are fighting, they are fighting a natural war. It's not like they can see at night. If they can see at night, then they're affecting, they're being affected or they're... You know, they're, they're in an unnatural state when they're fighting. Because they can see at night. Today's days, militarily, they have night goggles where they have night vision. Okay. But in those days, if they can see at night, then that would be, they would be fighting miraculously. 
If Hashem would have defeated the enemies through some divine intervention, which God could have done in a split second, the whole army of Sancherev dropped dead because they heard the angels singing in an instant. So God obviously couldn't intervene, but doesn't want that. He wants us to fight and continue fighting this war. But at the same time, He needs to intervene. He sends us the miracle. But the miracle operates side by side with nature. Fast forward, let's move a little forward. Many, 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 many years later, Gimel Tamos 1927. What happened on Gimel Tamos 1927? Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson, the sixth Chabad Rebbe, was a heroic general fighting a battle against the Yevsetska, against the Soviet regime that had forbidden the Yiddishkeit to be practiced, Jews to perform mitzvahs, Jewish children to learn Torah, had made a horrific, horrific, not decree, but many decrees, to stop and to snuff out any bit of emuna and of Jewish connection to God and Jewish observance in, in Russia. They were an extremely, extremely powerful and ruthless government led by a tyrant. At that time, I don't think it wasn't Stalin yet, but whoever it was leading up to Stalin, you're talking about monstrous people, okay, and a monstrous regime. The worst of the worst. The Soviet regime killed whom and how knows how many millions of people. Butchered their own people. And they clamped down their, with all their energy and all their power to stop the observance of Judaism. Most Jews, if they wanted to keep Yiddishkeit, somehow fled. A lot of them caved in because it was just impossible. And then there was a handful of Jews that stood up fiercely and fought. From that handful of Jews, the majority of them were Chabad Hasidim. Inspired by Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak, the Rebbe, who made it his thing that we're not going to surrender. He sent out hundreds of his people. I read that he had connections to 1,400, 1,400 towns, villages, cities across the vast Russian government, across Russia. 1,400, you know what that means? 1, 2, 100, right? 176. 634, 928, talking about each one is another city and another place. And in all these places, the Rebbe had a network in which he had, in one place he sent a moil, the other place he sent a shaykhit, the other place he sent a, 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 a many places he sent a malamid, and they opened up schools underground. They, basically Yiddishkeit, observant Yiddishkeit, went underground. Many of these yeshivas, cheders, were caught, busted. Even little children were taken for questioning and tortured that they would release who their teachers are. Hundreds of chassidim died, murdered, tortured, 
maybe even thousands, I don't know the amount. And the Rebbe kept on sending them. Because he knew that this was a battle for the future of the Jewish people. And we have to fight to the very last de- drop of blood. They arrested the Rebbe Rayatz. They re- arrested Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak. And when they arrested him, they thought, finished, they have him. They're finally going to, they're going to finally knock the nail in the coffin of Judaism in, in Russia. They took the Rebbe to an infamous prison uh, called um, Spolerka in Leningrad. Just hearing the name Spolerka sent chills and dread in the citizens of, and anybody in the, in, the, in the city of Leningrad at that time. They took the Rebbe, and the Rebbe was arrested on the 15th day of Sivan. For three weeks, he, he, he was subject to brutal interrogations. He stood up against them. He didn't give them, he didn't flinch. You can read it all in his diaries. It's the most inspiring read you can read. To see a person who's facing the most brutal regime, single-handed, but he knows God is with him. With the most unbelievable, staunch, stubbornness and amuna, he fights them. In the end, they gave their verdict. The first verdict they gave upon him is that he has to be, that he should be shot, he should be killed. I remember, for them it was nothing. They just had, they took, they, were, they, they made a, 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 mock, a mock trial, and there was nothing to, to, to accuse the person for whatever. I had usually false witnesses. Then they would just take the person out in the middle of the night or whenever it was in the, in the back and shoot them in cold blood. So the first decree on the Rebbe was that he should be put to death. Then, something that you cannot explain, because they, they knew that the Rebbe is the nerve. Without the Rebbe, chas v'shalem, the whole network would, would up, based on natural, the whole network would collapse. Because all the chassidim got their koyach, they got their inspiration, they got their oomph, their willingness to give up, their, to give up literally their lives, because they had a Rebbe that they, they were connecting to, that was encouraging them. So by them, chas v'shalem, doing what they wanted to do, the Rebbe, would have, it would have, they, would have had, they would have had their victory. But in the end, through divine intervention, for some reason, they crossed it out, and they didn't. They removed his death warrant, and they changed it. For 10 years, exile in Siberia, in a town called Solovki. He was supposed to be sent for 10 years labor camp. Which that was basically for a person like him, an elderly Yid already, uh, that would have been most probably a prolonged death sentence instead of chas v'shalem, a quick and slow, like the immediate. Then Hashem, and then the miracle happens again. They changed it another time. And they gave him three years in exile in a forsaken area called Kastrama, where they were going to send him. An exile means he's not literally in a camp, but he can live only there. He can't really have contact with many people. And it was usually under very harsh conditions. He has to register with them constantly, every week or so, so they make sure that he doesn't run away. And he's there in an isolated place, which was horrible, which would for sure disconnect him from his network without a shadow of a doubt. Well, that, when they, 
And they sent him off actually to his exile. When did that happen? On the third day of Tammuz. On Gimel Tammuz, he left Leningrad. And off he went with a train. I don't know where it was, to the north or whatever, where Kastrama is. He was sent off over there. That happened on Gimel Tammuz. The Hasidim at that time didn't know what to make of, this, of, 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 of the day, of the significance of this day. Is it good news or bad news? It's good news because the is alive. He hasn't been shot. They haven't known anything. When he was there, it was chas v'shom. Who knows what was going to be? He's alive. It's bad news because the Rebbe is going to go through terrible suffering for three years. And who knows if he's even going to survive it. So people didn't know. Anyways, the Rebbe arrived. There's a whole story with tremendous mysterious nefesh even when they sent him. Because initially the day they, was, they sent him to leave the prison, which every second that he was in prison was literally a danger to his life. Because they can change their minds instantly. When they came to tell him that he should, that he's this, they, they, it was on Shabbos. They wanted him to go on Shabbos. They wanted Dafki should go on Shabbos. Because they wanted to show the Jews, take a look, you keep Shabbos, it's sacred to you. Your rabbi is on the train on Shabbos. The rabbi said, told them, I'm not going on Shabbos. What that meant is, okay, if you're not going, then you're going to stay here, whatever. We're going to keep you in dungeon over here for 20 years. They could have done it. The rabbi was not going to hear of it. He didn't travel on Shabbos. In the end, he went on Sunday. But in any case, he arrives to the city of Kastrama. He's there for about a week, maybe less. I don't know how exactly which day he arrived there. On the 12th day of Thomas, which happens to be his birthday, they come and they notify him and they tell him, you are released. You are free to go home. Imagine that. From a death sentence to 10 years labor camp to three years exile, and suddenly on the 12th day of Tammuz they give him news the unbelievable news, the Rebbe is free to go, okay what was first, what was probably going on we understand there was a tremendous miracle, there was tremendous international pressure Chabad Hasidim across the world which had a lot of influence in the United States and so on and so forth turned over every, the entire world and put tremendous international pressure on Russia. Fine. But we know the Russians. When the other guy, Wallenberg, Raoul Wallenberg, also had tremendous pressure to, to, to let him out. And now we find that he was killed. Uh, this um, a righteous Gentile who saved so many Jews during the Holocaust. There's no trace of him. The Russians didn't care that much always for world opinion. Especially when they had the, what they call the ultimate enemy of the state. So it was, of course, a tremendous miracle. And here's another little detail. He didn't, even though they gave him official that he can leave on the 12th of Tammuz, he wasn't released. He didn't leave that day. Why? It was a government day. I'm sorry, it was a, it was a government holiday. And the offices were closed. So like over here, it would be uh, Memorial Day. And all official government buildings are closed. So the official government building in the little town, Hick town of Kastrama, was closed that day. So the Rebbe couldn't get the official release papers he needed. And he had to come the 13th of Thomas. And on the 13th of Thomas, they gave him his release documents. They were able to stamp it and so forth. And the Rebbe left. He came back to Moscow. Or I don't remember where he went exactly. And then a, few, a little while later, I think a few months later, yeah, a few months in Sukkot's time, the Rebbe left Russia completely. And he went to Poland and finally he came to America. Obviously the tremendous joy and simcha. 
what the tremendous boost this gave to the Jews in Russia, and to Chassidim. The Rebbe then instituted and declared that this day, the 12th day of Tammuz and the 13th day of Tammuz, should be a yontif for the Jewish people. Not just for his Hasidim, but for the Jewish people. He said, for everybody who's, who Yiddishkeit, serving God, anybody that cares about Torah and mitzvahs, this day should be a yomtev. Then he said, not just for these people, but anybody who's even nicknamed himself as Jew. That means people that don't even see their Judaism as their, as their true identity, but only as a nickname, if they at least feel somewhat of an identification as Jewish, this is their holiday. Why? Because we can understand as a result of the Rebbe coming out of jail. First of all, Soviet Jewry survived. Not only it survived secretly, it was thriving in the underground. The Russians continued to try to exterminate it, to wipe it out, to snuff it out with all their might, continued killing many chassidim, arresting them, labor camp, prison, and so on and so forth. In the end, they failed. Sixty-somewhat years later, the Soviet Union collapsed and Judaism triumphed. So much so that even Leningrad, the very, very city that was once Petersburg, it became Leningrad to give honor to Lenin, the, 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 the great founding father. Lenin's statue was taken down. Stalin's statue was thrown down. And even the name Leningrad was reversed back to Petersburg. And what's left of the Soviet Union? A distant memory. What's going on in Russia today? Yiddishkeit. Cheders. Thousands of children learn Torah. Mitzvahs. There's a renaissance of Judaism across. Balei Tshuva by the thousands. Unbelievable. Here you see the victory of the Jewish people. But not only that, and obviously this was all related to the Rebbe's release. So Soviet Jewry was saved by this day. That's a yomtif. But it's a yomtif for everybody else, because I don't know how much of Chabad would have survived had the Rebbe Chas Shalom been taken out. Would it have been a continuation to Chabad? Now, in all honesty, if you just want to be honest, it doesn't make a difference if you see yourself as a chassid or not. Erase, chas v'shalom, in your mind, chas v'shalom, erase the work of Chabad for the last 60 years, 70 years, across the world, all the Chabad houses, and everything that Chabad has done in terms of bringing back thousands upon thousands, starting this whole massive tshuva movement in the world, reaching Jews everywhere, stopping assimilation in tremendous degrees, even though the battle still rages. Erase what Chabad has given the world in the last 70 years. 70 years since the Rebbe's release. Now it's more than 70 years. We're dealing already, uh, how many years? Since 1927? He came out in 1927. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's 90 years. Yeah, it's 90 years. 91 years becoming. So in the last 90 years, what would you have? So we understand the enormity of them. Now we see clearly that God intervened. This was a tremendous miracle that God intervened. But here I have the same question for you. So let's go back a minute. What happened on Gimel Tammuz? The Rebbe at that time was sent to the exile, went out of Shpolerka, which is that prison in Leningrad, went out of the hands of the clutches of those monsters, 
at least he was sent away to a more distant place, but he was still under their 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 uh, sovereignty. But then they were forced to, to to release him completely. But here's my question. Obviously, this is a miracle. Why did the miracle come in stages? If God is already sending his miracle, and Ad Mehida Yodin's Devore, God's Pagad Hashem is not Hashem is not limited in time. And the Abishta comes down and swoops down to release the Lubavitcher Rebbe from these ruthless uh, uh, thugs. And the Rebbe comes down, and, 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 and in order to, to do this great miracle, so why did the miracle happen in such a way? Why couldn't they instantly, when they're in prison, they inst- if, if, if Hashem is causing them to have some kind of a change of heart, so they should release him. Why did it happen like this? First they give him a death sentence. Then they change the death sentence to 10 years labor. Then they change the 10 years labor, and they make it... They make it three years exile. Then they change three years of exile, and they release him. But even after he's released, Soviet Jewry is still undergoing horrific persecution and oppression. The ultimate victory of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, of the sixth Chabad Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak, and the end story, we realize the story has an ending, is 60, 70 years later when the Soviet Union completely dissolves, implodes on itself, miraculously, again, without any gunshots, without any wars, it implodes and it, it just it disappears. So that's the end of the victory of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, of the previous Lubavitcher of Kedusha over Klippa. Holiness is superior, Koli triumphed over the unholy. But how did it happen? The miracle took... 70 years for it to fully be realized. Why? Well, let's take a look at the parasha. What happens to the almonds? Do the almonds grow out instantly? No. Vayotze perach, it flowers. Vayotze tzitz, it buds. Vayigmol shkedim, and the almonds come out. There is some kind of a natural process. So what's the deeper meaning of this? Why is the Abishter doing that? Why is Hashem working that way? If God is already here, let him, let him come with his whole force. The answer is one thing. The Abishter has tremendous, tremendous love and respect for the creation that he created. God created the world and truthfully, as we spoke many times, the world is utterly, 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 utterly insignificant to Hashem. It's created by one tiny little thought. One thought that creates all of creation. Or a little breath that Hashem creates the entire world. So creation in in terms of its intrinsic value is zero. But the fact that Hashem chose this creation, and He created it, and He chose, listen to this, Hashem chose to create it in six days. That means Hashem took of His time. And of his energies. You say, Hashem doesn't have time. Yeah, but with, once Hashem enters into the realm of time, Hashem took of his time, seven days or six days, to work and to create the world. That means that the Hashem is giving the world importance. And that importance of the world is very, it's not just in the big, ginormous galaxies, but Hashem has importance and significant, gives significance to every tiny little being in this world. Especially according to what we learn in Hasidus, that Hashem didn't only create the world 
a long time ago, but that creation is an ongoing thing. Hashem is continuously creating the natural world. And the Baal Shem Tov says that if Hashem would stop creating the world for a split second, the world would go back to nothing. So God is continuously speaking all of us into existence. This podium, the chair you're sitting on, the roof, the light, the sky, the sun, the moon, the flowers, the frogs, the chirping crickets, the little squid in the middle of the ocean, the large whales, the mountains, the valleys, the birds, the angels, eight billion human beings, everything in the world God is continuously sustaining and creating, each one in particularly. And giving each one attention. Why did he do that? Shem could have created the entire world without him being involved. What does that mean? God didn't have to create the world in which the world should require his continuous involvement. Hashem could have released an infinite power to bring the world into existence in a manner that once the world exists, he gives it an expiration date. If he doesn't want it to exist forever, so he can put the expiration that it should, agree, it should expire after 6,000 years. And fine, then the world would continue to exist without God being involved and invest in it in every second. Another thing, why did Hashem create the world in the manner that the world should know that God created it? Now, of course, Hashem created in the world that we're able to deny Him. But we have the information. We have a chumash. We're told, that God created the world. We're not only told that God created the world, we have a Mishnah. The Mishnah comes and t- tells us that what? Tells us even how Hashem created it. With ten utterances. And then the Balshemtov comes along. The Balshemtov even teaches us that God is continuously creating everything every, every second. So not only did God do it this way, but Hashem wanted us to know that He did it this way. What's is that a sign? That's a sign that God wants a relationship. That Hashem wants, that Hashem loves the world. He loves His creations that He makes. And here is the, here is the amazing thing. Why, what does Hashem want from the world? Well, for that we also have to look into Torah, or else we have no idea why. Well, it says in Pirkei Yavis, Everything that God created, Everything God created, He created for His honor. So everything in this world is here to express and to reveal something of God's honor. So when you're looking at a tree, the tree is saying, look at the Creator who created me. Look how smart, look how intelligent that Creator is. Look how, first of all, what an artist He is. Look how beautiful I am. And look at my abilities. I can create fruit out of nowhere. I'm taking soil, energy from the soil, and I'm creating apples. Delicious apples. Red, sweet, delicious apples. Or green, um, sour apples. Whichever they are. And not only that, I have a mechanism in which, which in me I have an ability to reproduce myself. I have these little seeds. And from each one of my seeds that I have, I can put it in the ground and produce a whole new tree. What an unbelievable master designer this God is. That's what the tree is telling you. And so every creature in the world is telling you something. It says in the Mishnah, the Pasuk and Tehillim, Hashemayim Saprim Kavoid Kale, the heavens speak the glory of God. Go out at night, somewhere in a, in a desert, don't I hear in Los Angeles so much light, but go a little bit remote, drive out and close the lights of your car, step out of the car one time in the middle of the night, or go camping and look up at the sky and you'd be awed. Oy Gewald, what an unbelievable God. He created the gazillion stars. That's when you look big, but look into the smallest little organism, tiny little cell, you will see as well the infinite wisdom of the Creator. 
everything in the world reveals and speaks of the God that created. And by doing that, Hashem is respecting each creature because he's allowing, he's allowing every creature from a monkey in the jungle, right, to, 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 uh, to a flower, to, to a human being. He's allowing every, even an inanimate object, to contribute to his glory. There's no greater honor for a creature to add to God's glory. Imagine, you can add honor to the Abishter, to the infinite being, right? God has allowed every creature to honor Him. It's for that reason that God decided to create the world every second. Because if Hashem would have created the world with a one-time power, then once you reveal, once this creature was used in somehow to reveal the, the glory of Hashem, then it revealed it already. Then it doesn't have anything left to do tomorrow or the day after tomorrow or, the, or a week later or 10 weeks later or three years later. The stone has already, once, once a Jew came or a person came and looked at the mountain and said, wow God, what a magnificent mountain you did. He's uncovered something beautiful about Hashem. The mountain has already spoken the glory of God. If it's going to, if someone else, if, it's, if, 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 if you're going to see it again next week and, and, re, and again be mesmerized by Hashem creating the mountain, you haven't really discovered anything new. It has already been spoken last week. But if God creates and sustains the creation every second, if Hashem makes the world second by second every second, that means that every second, every single one of these gazillion creatures can every moment of their duration that they exist reveal the power of God that's sustaining them at that moment. It's a new energy. So you can make a contribution every second. I went up to the hills to think about this class today, to the Hollywood Hills. I was sitting in Tree People Park. And I'm sitting over there and I'm looking at these little straw while I'm learning this. That straw, it's a little on the floor, and I'm literally gazing, and I'm watching deeply, and I'm concentrating. How at this second, this I was picking, I, I focused my vision on one small little beige, uh, pl- uh, um, little, I don't know what it looked like, some kind of a flower, not a flower, it was just like uh, grass, but like, and it was, uh, 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 and I'm looking at it, I'm thinking at this second, this second, you are telling me something about your cre- about the creator. And I was so moved, I teared up to think about, wow, what an honor to be that little thing that can say now that it's something it never said before because I'm watching it now. I didn't look at it yesterday. And it's speaking about the godly energy that's creating it today. Wow. That's the awesomeness of creation. The awesome respect that Hashem gives to His world. And therefore, the Lubavitcher Rebbe says an interesting thing. He says the reason why Hashem has created human beings that we have to be sustained continuously by food why can't we just eat once a month and we should live for the month or, 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 years, or maybe for a year you know eat fuel up you, 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 you take the fuel for, and then be sustained why is it that we need constant food because it's in that way that we continuously continuously again and again reveal the glory of Hashem in His creations for example, you take a little cup, a sip of water, a cup of water, you make a bracha. You ever thought about the power of this blessing? You're saying, you're doing the greatest thing for this water. Because you're saying, Baruch Hashem, blessed are you God. Elokeinu melech the power, Elokeinu, the power, 
king means power. The all-powerful one, the king of the universe. Shahakol, that everything, Nia, everything was created, came into being bidvoroi with Hashem's words. And through that one little glass of water, not only did you reveal God, the creator of the water, but God who creates the entire universe through that water. But, and the fact that you will drink water so many times in your life and so many times make that blessing, continuously revealing Hashem's glory. And that's the ultimate. Hashem wants this world to reveal His light. Now at times, see, the world on its own can only reveal that, that element of God that God implanted in nature. If I'm, looking at, if I'm looking at a piece of art and the artist invested certain elements of their talent, of their being, time and effort into the art, I can recognize those talents. But do I know the deepest secrets of the artist by looking in their art? No, because I haven't put their deep, deepest secrets into their art. They put, obviously there's some elements of subconscious of a person that also goes into the work that they do. But there's only that much that they're revealing in that, not their entire being. With God, it goes without saying, because the creation was only created through one little thought of His. One tiny little thought. So that means most of the Eber so to speak, the bulk of God, so to speak, is not revealed in the creation. It's not revealed in the creation. So from time to time, God performs miracles. When God performs a miracle, we get a glimpse of God's true superpower. We get to see Hashem's omnipotence. We get to see that He has no limitations and no boundaries. He's not bound by nature. He's not the power, the battery of the world, and that's it. He's infinitely greater than that. He set the world and, and this natural system in place, but He transcends that. So at times, Hashem provides miracles. Fantastic. But here's the beauty. Hashem wants that even those miraculous powers ultimately should not bypass the world. He wants to give selected, privileged creatures and beings in this world the honor of revealing Hashem not just by, in their natural way, but revealing Hashem's superpower, transcendental power, Hashem's true omnipotence should be revealed through them. Through them. Therefore, whenever Hashem, not whenever, sometimes this, it, sometimes it was needed for whatever reason to, to work, that Hashem, when He needs to do a miracle, the cause requires a complete suspension of nature. Hashem has v'shalom carefully pushes nature to the side and reveals His power as a miracle. But whenever that's not absolutely necessary, Hashem prefers to work another way. To respectfully stretch the natural, the natural phenomenon, that, that natural existence, to be able to receive the miracle. And that the miracle should become completely assimilated and digested by this creature or by this being and it should express the, the greatness of God. So for instance, we're going to go to the, to the, to the story of the, the, the staff that we began with the class. Of course, the Abishta wants to prove to the Jewish people that he has chosen Aaron and he's going to give a staff and the miraculous almonds are going to grow on the staff. Miraculous almonds are going to grow on the staff. But instead of just bypassing nature and saying, here's the miracle, Hashem allows the staff to be involved in that miracle. 
Hashem wants the stick itself to be part of it. Like he respects the stick. Hashem said, you stick, you come from a tree. I know you're cut off, you feel dried out, you feel you're a loser now, you can't even grow things. I will allow you to now express power. It's a miracle and everybody's going to be astounded. But you can do it. So therefore, even though Hashem is the one empowering the power over here that's beyond nature, the stick doesn't just have, 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 have almonds, it goes through the process. It first gives flowers, then it, gives, then it buds buds, and then it gives almonds. Because that's the natural growth that a healthy tree rooted in the ground, that's the, the process of vegetation, that's the process of the way almonds grow or any fruit will grow. So Hashem is like, working and is not just, he's not shoving the miracle at us. He's gently releasing the miracle so that we can be partners, so to speak, in that expression of the divine. Let's go to the same story which happened on the first Gimel Tammuz in history that we spoke earlier when Joshua stops the sun, Yeshua stops the sun in the sky. And I asked earlier if Hashem is intervening and He wants the Jewish people to be victorious. What does He have to stop the sun and then allow the war to, to run its natural course? Hashem couldn't just finished up the enemies. Nah, because Hashem wants us to be the warriors. Hashem wants us to know that we conquered the land. Shouldn't it be like we walk the electoral mazels in Eretz Yisrael and say, oh, you know what? Okay, we have a great God who did this. Hashem wants us to know, no, you fought, you did it. Yeah, understand that without my power you couldn't do anything. But I, but I let you fight. So Hashem sustains the sun. He, 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 he keeps it standing in the sky. So it's a miracle. It's the biggest miracle possible. Hashem is interceding with the celestial beings in the sky. But then He says, My kinderlech, my little children, you can continue fighting. Fight the war, win the war naturally. So that the miracle works with us not overrides us, not overpowers us, but it allows us to be part of it. That's the depth of it. That's the meaning of it. Let's go to the Lubavitcher Rebbe that we spoke earlier. The sixth Chabad Rebbe that on the Gimel Tammuz, this third day of Tammuz, the miracle of miracles, he's released from the dungeon, from the clutches of those bloodthirsty murderers. And they release him. And I asked you, why did the miracle happen that way? The miracle, especially as I mentioned earlier, take a look how the miracle worked. It came little, little, it's almost like it was like a drip, like, uh, like you have a, a sometimes a, a, um, a someone has to take a, like a, a fluids. It's drip, 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 drip. The miracle is dripping in, into the world. These, the, the communists, they, 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 they decree to kill him, they change it. No, I realize these people, on their own, they would have murdered him with the most, with the mo- in the most cruel way. They, they, they had such animosity, and they wanted to tear him literally to shreds. The fact that they couldn't do it, unbelievable miracle. God doesn't let them do that. He drips a drip of the miracle. And here's what happened. Here it's even more. Hashem doesn't intervene at all. He makes those very people who arrested him, Here's what's going on. They change their heart. They change their attitude. And they say, no, we can't kill him. They don't even know why, but that's what they're saying. We can't kill him. And they release him. But no, but they want to send him for 10 years to prison, to labor camp. 
then the miracle is permeating them. It's permeating, it's sitting upon them. And it's entering deeper. And it stops them from sending him for 10 years into labor camp. And then the miracle sits again. And they say, and what do they do? They decide they're going to exile him for three, for three years. For about 10 days, this miracle of redemption, it was all about redemption from the first moment. But instead of blowing them apart, it doesn't blow them apart. It sits on the wicked hearts of these wicked people. And it permeates even deeper till they realize we can't even, he's, a, he's an innocent man, we have to let him free. But here's an amazing thing. What did we say earlier? They released them on the 12th day of Tammuz, but officially the government, the government offices are closed because it's a legal holiday. So the miracle waits. It waits until the next day in which it's not a legal holiday and they give him the official papers on the 13th of Tammuz and they let him go. This is unbelievably insane. Since when does miracles wait for a government office to open? This is a godly miracle. Hashem is intervening. You got an office? Because you have a lazy bum who wants to lay in bed and doesn't want to get up and go to work? Get him, get one call from the Kremlin. You better get up there. I mean, if Hashem is doing it anyways, you get in bed up there and let the rabbi go. Knock the doors down. The answer is, Hashem is allowing the miracle to work with nature. But let's put it this way. The miracle and nature, God and the world are engaged in this beautiful dance. Hashem is not crushing nature. Hashem is waltzing with nature. He waits. No. The miracle has to come from the world, with the world, from the world. It can't crush the world. It has to work with the world. Because the world ultimately is sacred. The world is holy. And therefore... We need to purify the world. A government as cruel as Russia needs to be purified. And the purification happened. You know when? Through thousands of, through hundreds, tens of years, a couple of decades of Messiris Nefesh, the Jewish people who kept mitzvahs in the underground in Russia purified the Russian regime more and more and more till these very same people decided we are a horrible society and we have to stop this without any intervention from the outside. The government of cruelty and of wickedness did tshuva, so to speak, had a change of heart and decided to create a society that is, that recognizes the rights of people and so on and so forth. How did that happen? Not through some some external Moses who came from the sky. It somehow happened from, on its own. But we know it was divine intervention. But it's divine intervention that is permeating the world, transforming the world. And that's why it's messianic. That's why it's Mashiach. The difference between Moshe Rabbeinu taking the Jewish people in the first redemption and the last and final redemption is the first redemption. The world was still so unholy, so ungodly, so rigid, so opposing, it couldn't be worked with it. Hashem couldn't, in a sense, it didn't allow itself to bend and yield to holiness. It needed to be suspended. Hashem had to knock it out completely. 
He had to give them such a zetz. He had to take the Egyptians, drown them in the sea. Moshe had to come with a staff and break the world. Break, na- break the order of nature. In all aspects, Moshe broke the klipa. But he broke them in a manner that it, was, it wasn't Egypt itself that was being fixed. It was a power above Egypt. Holiness with all of its power came clamping down on Egypt and forced them to release the Jewish people. Not so will be the future redemption. And this is so important because without this we will miss the unbelievable miracles that are happening in the world. We are living now the redemption. I'm crying to my, my throat is hoarse already from me saying this week after week that we are somewhere in the same year like Moshe Rabbeinu that time. Where there was, where it was dumped for, you know, there was a redemption happening. The Jews knew Pakit Pakadati, and we knew that Moshe was born. We know he was taken as a little boy to the palace of Paro. Jews had hopes on him. Then he disappeared for a while. But we all know that it was the last year Moshe comes back, and then he disappears even after he came back. It started getting much worse for the Jewish people. Then he went away. Chayzev and Nigla, he was Niskasi, he was hidden. He came back and he was revealed, as it says. So it was with the first Goel, and so it will be with the future Redeemer. They're both revealed, they go into concealment, and then they're revealed again. That's what it says. But even by Mo- but then, but Mo- once Moshe Rabbeinu was revealed, boom, 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 miracle after miracle, my dear friends, miracle after miracle is happening this year in front of our eyes, and we should be running in the street screaming, Gevald! No. Oilem Goilem walks around as if nothing is happening. Why? Because the miracles are happening within the world, from within the world. We were almost crushed two years ago. They were wanting, they ganged up against us. Who ganged up? The previous administration, the media, all the choleris of the world, the UN, the, the, UN, the, the EU, the Europeans. All of them together were marching for the annihilation. They gave Iran nuclear billions of dollars. Physically, talking about an, an annihilation, they wanted the Jews dead. They're not going to say it. They were going to force us to give away Yerushalayim. Stop. This was a war on Hashem Val Mashiachai. Anybody that doesn't see it is simply... I don't want to say the next word. And then what happened? What happened? A miracle happened. The 2016 election was a miracle. It's a shame we don't have a Navi here to tell us. So we have to open our eyes. I'm, I'm not a Navi. The reason I'm opening my eyes, the Lubavitcher Rebbe said, open the eyes and see the miracles. And he told us that when governments, you see when the governments, and the Rebbe said an interesting thing. I'll share with you something amazing. The Rebbe said that back then in 1991 that the job of Mashiach is that he is going to conquer the empires, the kings. He is going to, in other words, our job as Yidden is to influence the Jewish people. We have to go out with mitzvahs, and we have to do, reach other Yidden, and be makar of Yidden, and learn Torah, and so on and so forth. Even be involved in Sheva Mitzvahs B'nai Nayach, influencing government, influencing individual Gentiles. But the governors, the governments, we can't do that. The Rebbe said, Parshas Mishpatim, very powerful words, um, what did I do with that safer? I think I put it on the side. I have to read this to you. The Rebbe says these words. What happened then? Here what happened. In, the, in, in, in 1991, I spoke about it this year, there was a, 
a meeting of nations for denuclearization. Where government, where, where I think it was Yeltsin, and maybe the first Bush, Bush Senior, and a few other, the, the, the Prime Minister of France, forgot his name, Prime Minister of England, all got together, and this was after the, after the Cold War was over, and they decided from now on we have to focus our, our energies for peace-loving things. And they decided that they're going to take away the threat of mass, mass murder through nuclear weapons. And that everybody is going to diminish their, their nuclear weapons. And instead, they're going to use their money that till now is for humanitarian aid across the world. And the Rebbe said, these are these words, he said at that time, that this is the nevoice of the days of Mashiach. I'm not telling this to you. Now that you should appreciate this for a moment, that you understand the severity of this, because some people don't appreciate what it means that Lubavitcher Rebbe said something, so I want to share with you something. There's a Yid, his name is Ramosha, Ramosha Ashkenazi, he was a Rav in Tel Aviv. It's a little incident, I don't have to tell you, thousands of stories of prophecies, of miracles, it goes on and on and on and on and on. I don't know if there's a human being that I can even think of, that there are so many stories said about him, so many in every aspect, it's like non-stop. But in any case, here's just a beautiful insight. There's Ramosha Ashkenazi came into a private audience for Yechidus, private audience with the Rebbe, spoke to him for a while. When he left the Yechidus a while later, he forgot some reason he didn't remember what happened. So he asked, he sent in a letter asking Mechila and forgiveness, but since it was very dear to him what the Rebbe said, and he just did not recall, he asked the Rebbe, please, if you can tell me what we spoke. It was a very gutsy thing to do, but he felt he had no choice. See, right? He wrote a letter asking that the Rebbe should remind him what he spoke to him. The Rebbe answered him, Bi Yechidis, during Yechidis, or Bishas Yechidis, Shechina, dot, dot, dot. In other words, at the time of private audiences, it's not me. Shechina medaberes metech groin. I didn't say anything. Shechina speaks through me. So therefore, it doesn't mean that I remember what happened. I, I, I was channeling. I was channeling. Now, if the Rebbe said that when he's having a private individual, he's meeting thousands of people, and he's saying that during Yechidus it's, it's, it's Shechina, how much more so when the Rebbe's standing in front of thousands, he knows it's speaking to the whole world, and he's saying things, this, is, means, that, this means that the Abishter is channeling these words. So what does the Rebbe say over there? He said that one of the Yehudim of the Geula Amitiz Vashlema is that nations are going to take their swords and cut them into plowshares. And the Rebbe says that this is Mashiach himself doing this. Like it says in the beginning, And therefore the Rebbe said at that time, the reason why these things are happening, because this is Haschalah, the beginning of the Pu'ulis of Melech HaMashiach in the world. That means Mashiach is already active in this world. He's already affecting. And the Rebbe said, and therefore the UN, where this meeting took place, happened in New York. Because this is the, the, the place where his father-in-law is. And the Rebbe then, whenever he speaks about his father-in-law, includes himself. 
And, and therefore, right over here is where this is taking place. This, 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 this denuclearizing meeting. This is part and the beginning of the Yehudei Hagiyullah. Fast forward. Fast forward 27 years. What happens? What's going on? What's going on is, how do you know the fingerprints of Mashiach are all over this? What's going on? The fingerprints of Mashiach is that you have two opposites. Number one, you have astonishing miracles that no one would have expected. Number two, it all happens somehow from the world, within the world, without any miraculous event that does it. No one in a million years would have bet that Trump is going to win the election. He was losing on all, on all, on, on all fronts. He was like the, 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 the one that was hated by everybody. The Republicans hate him. The Democrats for sure hate him. The Republicans, his own part, no one liked the guy. And then he went and came into office through an incredible, but through a process of election where you saw divine intervention. You saw that whole email scandal, that whole thing with Comey came out a week before. I spoke about this many times. And, he, and, he, and tomorrow they're going to give out Comey's uh, siding with Clinton and yet a week before something pushed him. You can't have, something put, pushed the head of the FBI to come out and who, who pushed him? Later he said, he's, when he thinks about it, he wants to vomit. That he, he said that He said, I get nauseous from thinking that I might have impacted the election. So he himself doesn't know why he did it. He, I mean, I mean, probably he did it because he didn't want later they should have tightness on him that he was under. But in the end, they're, gonna, they're finding out now that he anyways was one-sided. And he anyways was trying to help the other side. So you see, God was doing it. But the Abishta did it in a way that he didn't break nature. He allowed the natural order to work. He wins the elections, and then thing after thing, he's breaking the powerful forces of Klippa. Look where the Jewish people are standing now. Look what the, in terms of the, the Gezerah that went away, the Gezerah of annihilation from Iran was completely removed. Talking about Gezerah for millions of Jews, people don't realize it. We sometimes don't realize things until Chas V'Shalem at the day after. There was a Gezerah here, Chas V'Shalem, a terrible decree that was threatening the very existence of six million Jews in Israel. The, the, and and so, so now they're not talking about a two-state solution. Oh, people say, what's so great about it? Mashiach Tzadkenu needs the Harabayas. This is Yerushalayim. We're standing right at the preparation of the Geula. They tried to take away the Harabayas from Mashiach. He lets Rabashkin out. Now he's giving clemency to a bunch of people. And the Abishta made it. He doesn't give, he doesn't give clemency to Rabashkin amongst everybody else. It's his first person, or maybe the second guy, individually, on Zeis Hanukkah. And there's so many more I can't even go through. But now one of the last things are, suddenly the most dangerous regime in the world that said they have nuclear weapons, and probably have, and said they're going to use it, and have utter disregard to life. And you're talking about the monsters of monsters. And just a few months ago, when there was a, when there was a, a, a friction going on between these two leaders... It looked like it was going to nuclear war. Not, you see, clearly it wasn't the spectacular negotiation skills of President Trump. Even though, of course, he sees himself as the art of the deal, the ultimate negotiator. It's not him. And of nowhere, son, it's Mashiach Tzadkenu doing this. Because people don't realize, they think Mashiach is a little rebelle who comes and he has a few chassidim and pashtim. Mashiach is a global leader. He's a global leader. The nations tremble before him. He turns over the whole world. He rectifies humanity. You can't have in under Mashiach's kingdom a nation with nuclear weapons threatening the well-being of millions of people. 
So out of nowhere, during Trump's presidency, all within this year, they're suddenly meeting. It's interesting, they're meeting today. Chofches. Chofches Sivan. Yesterday we sat over here and we learned a talk that Lubavitcher Rebbe gave Chofches Sivan. The significance of Chofches Sivan, the Rebbe said, is the day that the Rebbe himself came to America. So the Rebbe then said on that day, the last time the Rebbe spoke on Chavches Sivan, said that this day is the culmination of the power of Sivan. Sivan is Matan Torah. This is the full completion of the power. Koyach Sivan, the power of Matan Torah. What does Matan Torah do? Matan Torah unifies all of creation with God. That means in a manner without war. Without war. It takes enemies. The Rebbe said in on Chavches Sivan. It takes enemies. Pada B'Shaloi Nafshi. He brings the idea that especially... In, it's now stage two of Matan Torah. The first stage of Matan Torah was when God gave the revealed Torah. The second stage of Matan Torah was through the Baal Shem Tov. Hasidus came to the world. And the Rebbe being the seventh Nasi of Hasidus, Hasidus Chabad, which is part, this whole talk that I'm giving you is all, the whole idea of Hasidus Chabad is that our amuna and our connection to God doesn't bypass our human faculties. It doesn't override our mind. It permeates our mind. You have to understand. You can't just have the amuna. You have to understand the amuna. Not that chas you remove the amuna from its fire. Biggest proof that amuna has not been, has not been diminished. Who is looked upon by the world as the biggest many uh, 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 radical chasidim of the Lubavitchers? Hold, hold it, they're Chabad Chassidim. The other Rebbes, the friends of the Alter Rebbe, of Roshni Zalman of the Yad, he accused them. He's going to turn people into philosophers. That's the Baal Shem Tev. Baal Shem Tev is Amuna. So now you have Chabad Chassidim who carry powerful Amuna and people accuse them as being Meshagoyim and radicals and this and that. Hold it, how did it happen to Chabad? Because that's the whole point. Chassidus Chabad doesn't diminish the Yamuna. It brings the Yamuna down into Chachma Binadas. That means God pa- permeates your, your, your intellectual faculties and, and your emotional faculties and finally your body and turns you into a walking godly being. That's what Chassidus is meant to be. And just like it does it individually to each person, it impacts the entire world. That every force that stands as a threat to Kedusha gets transformed. And which day does the Rebbe say is the ultimate expression of that? Kaf chasivan. And it's interesting, the Rebbe is there talking about himself coming to America. Because he says, when we came to America, the whole work of Afatis Amayanis, of spreading the teachings of Hasidus and reaching the farthest of places in order to conquer the entire world for God, took on a whole stronger more powerful effect than ever before. Why? Because we're dealing with the final conquest. When do they have the conference? When do they have the conference? Exactly. We know that, I see this all the time. If you learn the sikhs of the last few years, you see the Rebbe is talking literally Ruach HaKodesh and even prophecies. The things that he said on certain dates, then you look many years later, you see that whatever he did, then no, no, no one was talking about. These very things are happening years, decades later. Mamish the way, mamish the way he said. So there he's talking about that it brings shalom. It takes enemies. Now hold on. Now we're standing in. So and, and now here's the amazing thing. That's the secret. What we're talking about over here, the secret of Mashiach's light and the final redemption. Is miracles, God transforms the world without making 
much ripples to the point that everybody can continue living their lives as if nothing is going on. But really, the whole world is changing in front of our eyes. It's a different world. You had the greatest divine intervention, but yet it went by in a way that everybody is still doing their things as if nothing happened. You see, we felt it. We felt it when Rabashkin came out. Everybody was dancing and singing. But then, okay, it was a presidential, it was a presidential, presidential party. Do you think, how many, how many people are there in the United States that are sitting unfairly in prison? How many? He has to find one Hasidic Jew. One Hasidic Jew from all the people that are there. And Dafki, he? Doesn't make any sense. The whole thing doesn't make any sense. It's miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. miracles of the redemption. So here's the thing. I don't know right now if we're holding between Shechin and Barad, or between Barad and Arba, I don't know where we are. But I can tell you one thing for sure, we're in the midst of the final messianic process. There's no shila, there's no doubt at all. So now let me share with you just one last thought. So the Rebbe says, and this is, here's an interesting thing. Two years before the next event that happened, Gimel Tamas, is the Estalkus of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. So everybody knows, Gimel Tamas, Lubavitcher Rebbe's yard site. Two years, three years before Gimel, the last time he speaks on Gimel, that was in Nundalid in 1994. 1991, the last time the Rebbe is speaking on Gimel Tamas. The Rebbe says these words. Okay, here we are. I'm reading to you. I'm not making this up. He printed it. It's printed. You can look it up. He says, what's the idea of Gimel Tamas? Let me tell you what the idea is. In the beginning, he says, they didn't know exactly what Gimel Tamas was. It was a day of confusion. But after Yud Beis Tamas came, and it became Chagagiyula, retroactively, Nizgala, Shagimel Tamas, Hayeschal to the Giyula. What seemed to be an exile and a darkness for that entire week. They, and then finally, when, when after the Rebbe was released, they realized that Gimel Tamas was already the revelation. Why? Because initially, he was supposed to be killed. And they didn't know that till then. Now they found out. So they realized, wow, Gimel Tamas, the Rebbe's life was saved. So he says that really, in truth, Gimel Tamas is a day of the beginning of redemption. How do I interpret that? What does that mean? What that means, the way I see it, in my little mind, but I feel so comfortable about it that even though it might be a little bit of a touchy subject, I'm still going to say it because I don't want anybody to come to me later after Mashiach comes and said, you knew and you kept this all to yourself. So it's on record now. The Lubavitcher Rebbe brought the Jewish people to the redemption. He took us to the top of the mountain and he said, take a look, Mashiach is here already. The Giyul is here. And he showed us in everything that's happening that Mashiach is here. He said, we finished already the work. In 1991. Mitzad him, the Giyula was here already. We could have had, the Rebbe could have snapped his finger and boom! Whoa, the whole world of Malad is Deus Hashem. Problem is, it would be his redemption, it wouldn't be our redemption. It would be his redemption. It wouldn't be our redemption. There was a chassel just going back to the... The Abishter wants the stick to have almonds. The Abishter doesn't want to have almonds. He wants the stick to have almonds. The, so what? Want, the Rebbe was want, once wanted someone to have a beard. He, he 
wanted to influence someone to, to let his beard grow. The person did it. So the Rebbe spoke to someone that he should speak to him and try to influence to let his beard grow. But the Rebbe warned this person and he said, don't tell him that I asked. So this person said to the Rebbe, but if I tell him you asked, well, for sure, if I ask him, he's not going to do it. But if he knows it's coming from you, he'll want to make you happy, he'll do it. So the Rebbe said, no, because if I ask him, it's going to be my beard. I don't want him to be wearing my beard, I want him to have his beard. I want him to have his beard. If he's doing it just because he surrendered to me and I asked him for a beard, he's having a beard and he's carrying all his hair in my beard. The Rebbe doesn't want Mashiach to be his Mashiach. The revelations of the Giyulah to be his. Let's go back to the sun. What happened on Gimel Thomas, the other event that happened Gimel? The sun stopped. The sun is the tzaddik. The tzaddik is... Is 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 says referring to the tzaddikim. Hashem made mo'irois. He made luminary in the skies. He made this giant luminary that touched the souls of millions of Jews. The Rebbe reached across the world like no other tzaddik before him. Powerful light, powerful light, and the sun was moving towards the redemption. But suddenly the sun stops in the middle of the sky. It didn't go dark. The reason I'm saying it didn't go it didn't become night. The sun didn't set. Because if the sun would have set, that means the Rebbe is not in the sky anymore, meaning he's not active, he's not here. Then how did Lubavitch grow so much in the last? See, how did all the... Everybody said doomsday. Everybody said after Gimel Thomas, there's no other Rebbe. Forget it, Lubavitch is going to completely unravel and fall apart. Yet you have thousands of chassidim that are as fresh and as new as exactly when the Rebbe was fully alive over here in our world, the Guv Gashmi. And they're brilliant, they're doing the Nefesh work, and they're excited, and they ride in, and they get answers, and they go to the oil, or they go to 770, wherever they are, they're charged with energy. They live with the Rebbe every single day, thousands of chassidim. It's still the most active organization, Jewish organization in the world. Not only still, it became so much stronger. That means he's still in the sky. The only difference is... He's not moving, he, he seemed to stop moving to the redemption. Stopped in the sky. Why? Because what happened when Yeshua stopped the sun in the sky? So that we can fight our natural battle. If, if he wouldn't stop, then it would be his battle, it wouldn't be our battle. So therefore we have a pause of 20 so years. In which we have a little bit of time, and we have to cherish this time. To do what? To take all these mistakes powerful godly revelations that the Rebbe revealed about Mashiach and about Achtos Hashem and unity of God and absorb it that it becomes ours we don't have that towering figure that's at least visible in front of our eyes that's overshouting us that we're just nullified in his life but we can process his teachings we can absorb it there's more Bechira Chavshis there's more free will there's ability to become to become the Rebbe's name I'm going to say interesting the Rebbe's name is Menachem Mendel Mendel is Mandel. Mandel is Shkedim. Shkedim are in Yiddish. Shkedim almonds are Mandlin. And the Rebbe wants that we should all be a Mandlin. We should all have his light, his teachings. He blows your mind every week. Sicha, I give over. Most everything I'm teaching over here is from him. Week after week, light, such chidushim, such insight, such soul, such incredible mystical ideas that open up, that just resonate as absolute truth. Chidushim that the world hasn't seen before. In every subject of Torah, Pshat, Remez, Drush, and Soid, and all unified together. It's incredible. But, here's what the Rebbe says, and if I'm going to conclude, Shekhinah, Medaberes, Metoich, Gerainoi, 
If the last Gimel Tammuz the Rebbe speaks about, what's the death? It's the first time he defines Gimel Tammuz. He says, Gimel Tammuz initially looks like what? Darkness, confusion, we don't know exactly what it is. Retroactively, we go back and we see it's the beginning of the redemption. So what is Gimel Tammuz to me? A major move towards the redemption. A day that I think about what can I do as a little peep squeak as a little nobody to help the process, to teach, to educate, to inspire others. Not to chas v'shalom fall into the depression of exile and think the Rebbe made an attempt to bring Mashiach, but he failed. Chas v'shalom The Rebbe was mevasar de geula with very clear words. He said that Mashiach is already standing on the roof of the base of Migdash, and he said already, Anovim egiazman gulaschem. Are ah, you going to say, if, if that's true, how could there have been 25 dark years in Tavada? 9-11, so much bloodshed, so much terrorist attacks, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, and all the dark years, with all, I don't want to have to chas v'shalom trouble you with, with negative thoughts of all the, all the horror that we went through. Well, one of the other sikhs that I quoted yesterday was the Rebbe says that Dafka, when you have the Isgabris of Kedusha, when Kedusha reaches its final moment of triumph, you have a powerful kickback and throwback of the forces of the Sitra Akhra that give one last thrust to try to stop the Giyullah from happening. And I believe that that went until 2016. And two years ago, the Trump um, election of 2016 completely Again, the point over here is Moshiach uses the powers of nature and the world to transform the world. Not overrides it. Works within the creation, through the creation. That was the final turnaround in which Kedusha, when you take a look in the world now, you see Kedusha is winning everywhere, in every battle. Just the other day, the Supreme Court gave out a ruling. They wanted to enforce on people that they can't regarding to, uh, you know, that the person had to make the cake for a marriage that morally, according to this person's deep religious convictions, are wrong. And, they would, and, and in the previous administration, they were doing whatever they can to shove it into the face of religious people that everybody must go along with that horrible moral decay and, and corruption. And the Supreme Court gave a ruling the opposite. So what was they wanted to last week? They challenged in God we trust on the dollar bill in Chicago. They threw it out. Which in Chicago, somewhere in a court, they threw it out against someone was. I'm saying is, if you're looking in the world today, victory after victory after victory, holiness is on the move. The unholy is falling. They're going crazy. That's why the media is screaming. They're franting. You never saw them like that. Their shot Hollywood is nuts. They're nuts. They don't know what to do. Every time they have a meeting, they get up there. They can't control themselves. They speak the most vulgar, despicable language because they don't know what to do with themselves. Because these are where... You see the people that are getting enraged by it. You know who you're tinkering. You know who you're, who's getting upset. Then you see Iran is upset. Hamas is upset. Abbas doesn't know what to do with himself. The New York Times is going crazy. Hollywood doesn't know what to do with itself. With itself. The EU, Trump had said, Bamacht yesterday, the other day, like really bad. Find out what that means in Yiddish another time. And, 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 and so on and so forth. I mean, 
All of these guys are sulking, they're depressed. I heard on the news that one of these big commentators say that he wishes the economy collapses, there should be another recession because that's the only way we can get rid of Trump. <laughs> this guy is wishing, he, he's wishing the economy collapses. Because the guy says, the economy is going good. He says, yeah, oh, only for now. He says, yeah, but it's going good for now. He says, yeah, 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 but I wish that's going to happen. Why? So this is clearly the hand of the Abish there. Mashiach is happening. And what does it mean to each and every one of us? This is being recorded, so I can't. What does this mean to each and every one of us? It means one thing. We have to prepare ourselves. Get dressed in your Shabbos clothing. Shabbos clothing doesn't only mean which it can mean as well. That too. Pack your suitcases. Have it ready by your bed. But Shabbos clothing means prepare yourself. When Mashiach looks at you for the last, at least what you've done in the last 30 days, he will see a whole lot of beautiful mitzvahs, a whole lot of holy thoughts, Beautiful, a lot of Torah, a lot of chesed, simcha, joy, bitachen, and the like. And then we will greet Moshiach Tzedkeinu without shame and without sorrow, but with simcha, with joy. May we merit that even before Gimel Tamas, the Shabbos, we should see already the full redemption. Now.